And welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I just wanted to do a quick little introduction before today's episode to address the very tragic and unfortunate passing of the legendary martial arts icon, Sonny Chiba. Uh, as many people know, he uh, was, was and continues to be a huge influence for me, both when it comes to as I say, cinematic martial arts and also real life martial arts. Uh, it's it's thanks to him that I was kind of set on uh, my martial arts path and journey. And I owe a lot to the man and I'd always hoped I'd get the chance to meet him. But unfortunately, that obviously isn't the case. But his legend will live on and I'm sure we will discuss more about him in future episodes and maybe we'll even do a episode in memory of him. But the main reason I wanted to bring it up is it's just sort of a tragic coincidence that we happen to talk about him in the first two minutes of the episode. Uh, we recorded this last week and it's in regards to uh, one of the many questions Gavin has a tendency to ask me before the start of us actually discussing whatever our topic of the week is. So I just wanted to pay my respects to the man, and we will cut into this episode right as we begin to uh, actually have a coherent conversation because we were just once again shooting the breeze, making inappropriate jokes, and all sorts of nonsense for the first five minutes. So uh, I hope you enjoy our episode today and look forward to more. And keep an eye out for future episodes regarding the legendary Sonny Chiba. May he rest in peace and power. What are we going to start off with today? We have something we're talking about. A we do. A little more specific than our last few episodes. We are talking about one movie in particular. But before we get into that, uh, do you have any questions for me today? Yeah, you know, uh, I thought we I thought, or we could bring back one of our old questions. You know, like what is a... Basically, we've been asking questions um, throughout time, throughout the beginning of time. And man has come to this one pivotal question. Mm -hmm. If you were to recast one movie, what movie would it be and what cast member? Yes, in all fairness. And I have a follow-up. Okay. In all, fair it, yeah. <laughs> in all fairness, I two days ago texted Gavin and said, next time you ask me that question, which inevitably is going to happen, it happens like every other episode, remind me that I had a good one uh, to give you. And so here it is. And it was because I was rewatching The Karate Kid Part 2. With Jessica. And okay. here's the deal. I, I love Pat Morita as Mr. Miyagi. Acting-wise, nobody could have done it better. Uh, he obviously was nominated for an Oscar for the first one for Best Supporting Actor. Rightfully so. I feel probably should have won. But it was the same year, coincidentally enough, I believe he was up against Dr. Hang S. Noor, who won for The Killing Fields, another uh, uh, Asian performer. Uh, but that, sh that should have been a leading role. Yeah. I mean, even even though screen time, you can break it down to say that's a supporting role, that the whole movie revolved around his presence. Mm -hmm. So I would, I would argue uh, uh, he should have gotten a leading and then uh, Pat Morita supporting. Well, but I digress. I, I've taken you off. I've it's, derailed it's you. It's too late now. But so, I, but I've always thought, imagine the difference if 
a martial artist could have been cast instead. Now, originally they wanted Toshiro Mifune, if I'm not mistaken, but they thought, okay, he's a little too serious, right? The Mr. Miyagi character has a lighthearted nature about him as well. And however, I was thinking as I'm watching Karate Kid part two, and it's the sequence where they're fighting inside of, uh, where they're ripping up the plants and then Miyagi Mm -hmm. has to save Daniel-san per usual. Uh, you're watching, you're like, okay, yeah, mm, no, this does not stand the test of time, this fight scene. But I remember the the person that I wish they could have cast. Now, I immediately, when I say this name, it's going to be, oh, he's too young. Technically, and I've actually done the research based off of the Miyagi character being part of the 442nd Regiment and, you know, age enlisting for the war and stuff, like basing it off of being 18 years old and so forth and so forth. So... Miyagi himself, or excuse me, Pat Morita himself would have been seven years too young. Uh, oh. And so, you know, they just age him slightly. This actor I'm going to pick would have been technically 14 years too young. Uh, okay. If are, I'm you not- going with, are you going with Thomas Ian Griffith? Sorry. <laughs> he was also obviously a lot younger. Yeah. Uh, but no, and I believe it was 14 or 13 years. I might be off, off the top of my head right now. But easily can age someone with gray hair and this and that, you know, but imagine instead had they cast Sonny Chiba <laughs> as Mr. Miyagi. Now hear me out because really Sonny good. Chiba is a fantastic actor. He could do drama. He can also do comedy like the lighthearted elements, mm-hmm. but imagine if Miyagi, and yes, he would have been much taller, right? A bigger Miyagi, but he would have been so badass, right? The martial arts stuff. And I'd imagine that probably his team could have handled the action and just imagine how much more we could have gotten on that front. Like looking at that sequence where he's saving Daniel's son and it's like, huh, kick, huh, weak ass waist height crescent kick that's super slow. Imagine instead Sonny Chiba like flying through the air, doing aerial kicks, showing that true like karate power in essence. Mm-hmm. I just think it could have been such a different dynamic. Uh, but. Obviously, Pat Morita is classic as Mr. Miyagi, but just an interesting thing to think about. I know it is. I'm actually like visualizing. I'm even thinking like you don't necessarily need to recast Miyagi. Maybe maybe Daniel-san goes over to Japan to visit Mr. Miyagi's brother. Oh! And played by Sonny Chiba. So that, that way you're not like, you know, taking an iconic role away from Pat Morita. Man, now you're talking. And then he goes to train with him and he's he's going to think I'm great because I know Miyagi karate. He's like, yeah. oh, you do karate like little girl. <laughs> which, oh, go ahead. Wait, 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 no, no, you finish that. Oh, I was going to say, which actually... Uh, is it an was, insult is to <laughs> Cynthia Rothrock? <laughs> well, no, I was just going to say I was extremely impressed kata-wise by... Uh, the females in uh, the Olympics, the karate recently, oh, yeah. I was just blown away, especially I loved, uh, I was rooting, even though I knew she wasn't going to win, I was rooting for the girl from Hong Kong because she was just so fast. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's my, my choice would have been Sunny Chiba for that. But, uh, oh, and so what's your follow-up question? Okay. So my follow-up question, and then I'll, I'll answer the two questions, but my follow-up question is, uh, uh, if you were to cast one of the one of the three brothers, uh, Jackie Chan, uh, Samuel Hung, or Yun Biao, in a film in an American film that had been released, what would it, what would it be? 
So any sort of action movie that. Sure. Any, 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 any one of those three guys, what, what American film would it be? Well, we brought this up in our last episode uh, about how originally Stallone wanted Jackie Chan as the Simon Phoenix character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't agree with that. I think that would have been really weird. But uh, so thinking kind of from that perspective, these established classic action movies, if I could go in and throw one of those three in there, the issue is, so, you know, Jackie's English, even by the time he, you know, hit the scene in the mid 90s, was a level of fluency that he was able to perform completely in English, right? Obviously, he has a dialogue coach. He has help on that front. Even Samo was able to learn his stuff phonetically, right? Yeah. And a lot of that has to do more with from the get-go when he was working behind the scenes, even at like Golden Harvest and stuff, and with foreign performers, you know, he had to learn obviously basic English stuff. But Yuen Biao seems to, even though from what I know, he immigrated to Canada uh, like years ago, apparently he just has no English abilities. <laughs> That's just what I've heard. Like apparently he has very limited English. So for him to be cast in a role, it'd have to be almost like a, a silent assassin type character, uh, which off the top of my head, it's, it's hard to think about. I guess you could perhaps cast him as part of like a military unit. First thing that pops in my head, the rock, mm-hmm. maybe he's part of, uh, Ed Harris's unit. Right. And so he's like a martial arts fight that they have to have, or maybe, uh, Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage, you know, have to take him on together. Uh, so that's a random one that pops in my head. Something Hold on, like, I like that. that. I, th- I think we're, I think we're going in similar directions. Yeah, he would uh, be a great henchman that could add a, a a cool dynamic. What were you thinking? So first, for my recast, which is I'm going to do a little stretch here. I'm going to like I know we usually do martial art movies, but I'm going to stretch over to a John Woo movie. Okay. And instead of Nicolas Cage and John Travolta, John Travolta changing faces. <laughs> sorry. I just love this idea. Mm-hmm. What about Nicolas Cage and William Defoe? Nicolas Cage and Willem Defoe as Face Off, right? But then, so where does Samo, Jackie, or UNBL come no, in? No, no. So this is the first. This is the first recast. Oh, you're, okay. you're doing Sonny Chiba. Okay, okay. I like this. So it's Willem Defoe and uh, Nicolas Cage. Nicolas so Cage. Cage. You right. keep Cage. You just pop into Defoe because I mean, who else could go? Cra- Imagine the craziness that they both have to lanes that they have to go to at first i was like no bad idea but now that i'm thinking about it, i'm like wait a minute it's true because people forget willem dafoe i think a great example of this is even the character he played in spider-man where he's the green mm-hmm. goblin he gets to do the level-headed scientist very normal uh and then he goes crazy right so it'd be that yeah. same dynamic because it's hard for me to reimagine john travolta does such a great job when he be when caster troy becomes john travolta or john yes. travolta becomes caster troy and yeah. he's just so over the top uh, and, so Nick, gr- and Nicolas yeah. Cage does a great job at the subtle nature of uh, Sean Archer. Yes. I can't believe I remember their names. I haven't watched them in years. But uh, but Willem Dafoe would have been a whole different, like, crazy-ass element. I, I, I could definitely see that. Yeah, I, I just think that their their acting abilities, there is there are two people who could mirror each other. Um as for what movie I would have Jackie Yoon Biao or Samo in, uh, I love I love Yoon Biao and I don't think he got enough ex- exposure. So mm-hmm. it would be nice to have him have, a, have an American film. But I'm actually going to go with Samo Hung in Taken instead of Liam Neeson. There's nothing wrong with Liam Neeson. Mm-hmm. It's a great film. He has all the charisma in the world. I mean, quite honestly, if I'm if I'm going to do a like for like kind of sub, the only person who could really 
fill that role and take it up a level in martial arts would be Richard Norton. But it has to be one of the three, the three brothers. So I'm going to go with Samuel Hung because I don't think he ever got enough uh, screen time, despite martial law, the TV show, enough time of calm screen time. It's always like kinetic movement mm-hmm. and bright colors in the background of martial law. So the one counter example that I'm going to throw out there is it's interesting. It kind of is his geriatric action role similar to Taken is when he did the film, The Bodyguard. Yeah. Or My Beloved Bodyguard, I believe, was the original English direct translation. Uh, I think in Chinese it was just Bao uh, Biao, Bodyguard. Uh I could be mistaken, but it, and obviously there's a whole extra layer to that character because he has dementia, right? He has Alzheimer's, yeah. but it's, it's similar in that there's a lot of calm, stoic moments. And, yes. w- and really in reality, we only get what would be like one and a half fight sequences. There's a short one in a house, and then of the big finale that he does. And there's some amazing parts to that, but I feel like something in Taken, he could have had much more of a chance to do both a better balance, right? Agreed. The, the calm, uh, the calm before the storm and then a lot more mm. of the storm. Yeah. And you know, he's, he's always, he's, his, I feel like anybody listening to our podcast knows what a fantastic actor he is, but he has layers to his acting uh, palette and mm-hmm. he could also really convey the love that he has for his, for his child that's been taken. I mean, there's just some, his on-screen presence is, is phenomenal. Yeah, agreed. I mean, so now I'm thinking about Yuen Biao and other action roles. I was just thinking, okay, Dragon the Bruce Lee story, they could have cast him as Yip Man uh, and had they kept Yip Man in speaking Cantonese instead they had him speaking perfect English. But that's one of the... If you're going to look at all the flaws of Dragon the Bruce Lee story, that one is very small. But uh, and then I'm also thinking, okay, maybe they could have cast Yuen Biao as Conan Lee's character in Lethal Weapon 4, the brother yes. of Jet Li. And then yes. uh, he could have had a little more action going on there. Uh, a lot of opportunities. I mean, if you go back to the Green Hornet as well, just scratch that and scratch the script and scratch the entire cast and then throw him into uh, the Cato role. Are you talking about for the movie? Yeah. Oh, the one that yeah, Jay yeah. Cho played Cato? Yeah. I think he would have been a little too old by that point, though. Who cares? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I think the missed opportunity was Donnie Yen for that role. But right oh, after that or right before is when Yip Man came out and is this big explosion of Donnie uh, doing that. But speaking of Donnie, I tomorrow will be going to see Raging Fire. You're going to see it? Yeah, it's playing in Sacramento. So uh, coincidentally enough, my kickboxing gym is hosting uh, their, I guess annually they do an anniversary party. And so they're doing like a potluck tomorrow afternoon. So we're going to go to that for a couple hours. Uh, and it's perfect because the movie theater is only 30 minutes from there. So then we're going to go uh, and see the movie afterwards. And I'm pumped because I've been hearing nothing but good things. Oh, man. And Even like the quote unquote critic, uh, like critical takes on it uh, are that it's a stellar action movie. If that's what you're going for. And I'm like, well, yeah, that is what I'm going for. Thank you. Uh, I, I just have to say, uh the typing you just heard, the listeners just heard, was me looking up to see where Raging Fire is playing. I assume it's playing somewhere in the L.A. area. Yes, it is. You might have to go to uh, wellgousa.com, but if not, you should it's, try to go see it, and that it could be our— up on a, It popped up on AMC. Woo! Burbank? Yeah. I'll find it. I'll okay. find it. Okay, cool. Yeah, you should try to go see it this week, and then maybe next week that'll be our episode, because I am pumped for that. But— Speaking of talking about movies, yeah, is, are we transitioning? We are transitioning because. So, uh, what name are you? 
Ja. <laughs> That's one of those jokes that suddenly you get, oh, uh, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Oh, Back yeah. going there. Yeah. Well, technically it works both ways, my name, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Anywho, uh, the movie we are talking about today. I'm here. I'm here with you. I know like, you're here. It's like, I just did not have a good segue. We are having an interesting day today. But is it? So it has two titles. It does have, like, okay. So the one I know right from the get go, and this is the reason it caught my attention, is the one it currently has. But it also has what must be maybe like the direct Chinese uh, translation. But the film we're talking about today is the 2019. Now, it also, on, uh, on like, for example, on Wikipedia, it says 2016, but I, I'm pretty sure it was 2019 or 2018 that it got its Hong Kong release. But the film we're talking about today is the Philip Ng starring Undercover Punch and Gun. So it's kind of a very uh, obscure uh, sounding title, but one of the other English titles for it is Undercover Verse Undercover. Yeah. Which I feel actually kind of makes less sense, but... Technically, maybe it makes sense. It's a very convoluted plot, uh, and we'll get to that in a second. But Undercover Punch and Gun, I think, is better suited for the kind of wacky but awesome nature of this film. I think, I think, yeah. If you want, if you want to explain to an audience what the film's about, Undercover versus Undercover makes sense. But Undercover Punch and Gun is just like, oh, this this is a popcorn movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And. I, I was very interested in this film because, once again, it, it got a lot of interesting response when it first came out. There were people that were highly critical of it, people that were uh, in support of it. But even the people that were critical of it were like, oh, it's a throwback to those early 90s low-budget films that were shot in – or Hong Kong films that were shot in the Philippines and Thailand. Uh, and I'm like, uh, I love those movies. I think I've talked about this before. I've talked about it multiple times. It was on our Kung Fu Comfort films list. I'm a huge fan of Crystal Hunt, which mm-hmm. is one of those movies. And I just – I can literally put it on anytime and I love it. And so this film – captures that essence the early 90s low budget hong kong contemporary action movies that were kind of on their way out as uh period pictures were starting to become more predominant again a lot that has to do with the uh upcoming handover in 1997 and kind of trying to make films that they could also release to mainland on uh, mainland audiences and so a lot of these uh lower budget films uh were forced like outside of like jackie chan and stuff were forced to go shoot uh, in other locations like Thailand, like the Philippines, uh, just because of budgetary reasons and, uh, you know, they can perhaps cheaper casts and crew, et cetera, et cetera. But this film, Undercover Punch and Gun, to try to <laughs> explain the plot, pretty much it deals with an undercover police officer played by uh, the fantastic martial artist and performer Philip Ng and mm-hmm. uh, kind of... He, it's like he's undercover working uh, within uh, a gang that uh, distributes drugs, the drug runners. And then it's almost like he kind of has to go undercover within being undercover. Uh, and then he gets involved with like rival gangs who then want to take down the other gang that he's now forced to work for. And uh, then there's more and more characters that get added to the plot. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense at points. But... But 
the action is quite enjoyable. Would you agree? The action is fantastic. Uh, you know, it's shot on digital. It lo- you know, you, you said it harkens back to the to the early '90s where films films are shot in the Philippines, or even kind of looks like Hydra a little bit, where it's definitely mm. you know it has that digital look, which sometimes doesn't mask some action elements as well as film catches those elements. Uh, but we're seeing we saw things from Philip Ng and his cast that we're not seeing anywhere else. Like you, you can, you can, you can, uh, rag on the, on the script a lot, but the truth is, and the inconsistencies in character development, et cetera. But these action sequences are pretty phenomenal. And, and there's some, there's some moves and elements that take place in the film that if they had slowed down and just focused on that, that would have like any one of these fights could be broken up into three fights and, and released in a big film and everyone would be raving about those fights. This, this thing is just chock full of phenomenal kicks. A hundred percent agree. And obviously I shouldn't say obviously, but the action is handled by Philip Ng, who is a well-established choreographer. Uh, Little background of Philip Ng is born in Hong Kong. Uh, he immigrated to America when he was seven years old to the Chicago area. And so at that age, he started learning uh, Chinese martial arts, both uh, Hungar, but more specifically Choi Le Fut, because his father is a well-known Choi Le Fut Sifu. So uh, he was on the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast a little while ago and pretty much was talking about uh, how at that age, it's like I, it's not I don't think it's that he didn't want to do martial arts. Uh, but wait, it's not that he was against doing martial arts, but didn't necessarily want to do it. Right. It's kind of like one of those things you're just, you know, it's what my family does. But then around age 14 is when he started getting into martial arts himself, like wanting to do it. And that's when he started like learning Taekwondo. And then he got very much into Wing Chun. Uh, and he was actually, I, I, you know, I can't speak on this specifically, but one of the last students direct students because he started going to Hong Kong during the summers at that age of uh, Wang Shengliang. And for those who don't know, Wang Shengliang is one of the most uh, famous students of Yip Man. And the uh, Wing Chun instructor that's actually re- was responsible for most of Bruce Lee's instruction in Wing Chun. Bruce Lee was a direct disciple of Yip Man, uh, but most of his instruction was done by his uh, elder Kung Fu brother, Wang Shengliang, who was famous for having done hundreds of what they call the the Baymo competitions or like kind of the challenge matches. In fact, his nickname, if I'm not mistaken, is the King of Talking Hands. Mm-hmm. And so this individual was also Philip Ng's uh, Sifu uh, until he passed away, I think in like 97. And then uh, obviously from that point, so Philip is, you know, an established, I imagine, Choi Le Fut instructor, a Wing Chun instructor, but he's also uh, learned a lot of other martial arts, uh, definitely Taekwondo or karate with the kind of kicks he has. He's definitely studied a lot of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because, as we'll get to, there's a lot of grappling elements uh, implemented in this film. But uh, he's an extremely talented performer who, in the early 2000s, headed back to Hong Kong and pretty much started working uh, in the industry, coming up with a lot of these guys at the same time, like his co-star in the film, Andy On, another cameo co-star in the film, Nicholas Say. Uh, and, you know, he got involved in some Jackie Chan productions. You can see him in films like uh, New Police Story, just like Andy On. They are obviously good friends in real life. Uh, 
And so, yeah, he's just had 20 something years of being both in front of and behind the camera, working with some all time greats. Uh, I know he's, you know, so he's worked on multiple Jackie projects uh, and therefore uh, he also worked on multiple Benny Chan films. Mm -hmm. And so obviously got to hone his craft. And here you get to see a film where he is responsible for the action and choreography. And what you get is a true love letter to classic Hong Kong action cinema. And what you also get, because it's a, you nailed it when you said something we're not seeing right now. There's a level of ingenuity to these fights, creativity that you only see, for example, in Bollywood pictures like right now where they're they go. Yes, it's over the top. And a lot of times it's really hokey and cheesy, but they're trying. And I love the fact that they're just experimenting and being so creative and imaginative. Right. And you get that same element in this film from Philip Ng's choreography, but it's much more focused. It's much cleaner in a sense, right? And it comes off as more hard hitting. Yeah, you know, it's funny because, you know, his his involvement with the, with the new police story, this movie felt very much like police story too, in some ways for me. Mm, I like that. The, the way it's shot wider. I, I, I mean, I, there's also police story one feel to it. Police story one is a little grittier and shot a little tighter. This is shot wide. Uh, one of my favorite fight sequences in this film is when he's fighting the two fighters, one in the vest and one with a ponytail. And you, you enter this space that's really wide and then they go into the next room and it's a really wide sequence. And you can tell, oh, at one point he's going to climb that wall, isn't he? Mm -hmm. You know, there's just, it's just, the room is set up for you. It's like, uh, I forget uh, who the author was, but he said, like, you don't introduce a, like a, you don't have a gun or rifle hanging above a door. You don't introduce that in your story if you're not going to use it. What's great about the way these sequences are shot is when you enter a new space, you're like, oh, I see what's going to I see what they're going to use. And they they use it. And I mean, same with the, the car sequence where he's running or he's on top where uh, Vaness is on top of the car. Yes, Vaness. Uh, Ooh. And you see uh, sequences where you see the, the scaffolding coming and you're, and again, this has a very much police story too. And even like first strike, which I guess is police story four feel to it, where you, again, you see the deacons, you see the full, full shot, and then you get to ride through that, that sequence with the, with the actors. It's really well shot. It's not shot too tight, not shot too uh, dark. It's very well lit. You know, so again, it, you're right. It's, it is a throwback, but at the same time, it's doing stuff that we're not seeing anybody else do right now. Yeah, and I, that that fight sequence, the one at the the drug lab, is my favorite of the film as well. Oh, okay, and, cool. Yeah, and the thing I like is what we're getting is there's little bits of handheld camera stuff, uh, even in that sequence, not a lot, and, and and but we get a lot of great just static shots, w uh, wider shots, medium shots, like you said, where the camera's just still and letting them do the action. The the camera angles they choose are spot on, right? It's this, yeah. you can tell that they are students of the game or, or, and Philip Ng is the fact that he grew up watching these films. He knows where the camera should be and how to shoot the action and that you don't have to do the shaky, 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 shaky. There's like short little bursts of that maybe. And even during those, I was getting a little selfish. I was like, no, I want it just static, but it works. Uh, but the... Philip Bing as a performer cannot be uh, underrated either because he's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, he does a great job of mixing this eclectic background he has. Now, obviously, there there is not 
any quote unquote traditional Kung Fu in here. He's not doing like Choi Le Fut, big wide swooping, sweeping punches, but you definitely get to see him implement uh, some of his Wing Chun in there. And it works perfectly. Short little burst, not over the top, but like some trapping and some quick uh, close range punches. But one of the things I love about his performance is, uh, and I'm trying to say this in the best way possible because I mean it as a compliment 100%, is sometimes uh, his, like a lot of his kicks, his kicks are powerful and fast and legitimate, but they're sometimes almost a little more rough and tumble, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, people, as a fighter, I like to kick a lot, and people are like, oh, your kicks are amazing and stuff, blah, 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 but they're not necessarily the prettiest sometimes, right? Even my high kicks, they're like, it's hard to explain, but, you know, because I'm throwing them for real, like in combat. And so he has some of that same element with these kicks, like his spinning wheel kicks and stuff. They just, they look brutal and hard hitting, almost more like a kickboxer. But then, at that same time, the next thing he'll do, he'll do an aerial, you know, 360 jump spinning kick. And you're like, oh, okay, wow, he can do that too. But I think the best kind of uh, comparison for that is during the uh, drug lab fight sequence where he's fighting uh, the the sickly individual. Uh, once again, the characters in this are great. They, they throw back to the old Hong Kong films where there was these very unique over-the-top characters. So yeah. pretty much in the sequence, he's fighting two henchmen. And I believe it's implied they're also lovers. Uh, yeah. The one is very effeminate uh, and he has a ponytail and the other one is very kind of sickly, but they're, uh, you know, dressed in a nice suit and so forth. So you see Philip Ng's kicks, which are much more like what I would say, like kickboxing style, kind of like that, you know, 80s Hong Kong element, like even the way you'd see Jackie kick or Sammo kick. But then the guy he's fighting, obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, seems to have a very legitimate like Taekwondo type background because he does mm-hmm. this series of kicks where the the aesthetics the lines of his legs are just perfectly straight everything is in in order and you could tell okay this guy uh is a kicker and then philip ing responds back with his own sequence and his own like jump spinning kick through the air and it, they just have different looks and feels to them and i love that and uh it works perfectly because we've talked about this in the past how a lot of these uh performers these days they're phenomenal performers but sometimes it's almost hard to even call them martial artists they're more just performing artists they've a lot and it's funny because we've met people like this even in some of the stunt classes that have been going on at the gyms i train out of you meet people and it's like oh well what's your martial arts background it's like well they've just started learning stunt and movie fighting since you know they were quite young and so that is their background right there they can do these beautiful kicks but sometimes it almost looks too perfect you know what Mm -hmm. i mean and here we're we're not getting that feeling we're getting the feeling of real authentic uh martial arts in a sense because that's what philip ing is right and so i i just love seeing that and that's more of a nitpicky thing on my end also being a, a lifelong martial artist but visually you can sense it's almost like a chi right yeah uh like this aura they give off of do authenticity you, and legitimacy do you remember the original Missing in Action with, with Chuck Norris? Yes, the of course. One? So there's a sequence where he's in like the, his hotel room. He's just got it back and there's someone in his closet. Mm-hmm. And he, and I forget what move he uses. I think it was, he does a kick or a punch or like kick punch, something mm-hmm. like that. And I just remember at that moment, I was like, this, this guy is absolutely legitimate. And there was sheer like power coming through the screen. And it's funny because as I was watching this film, you know, 
that that's sort of like my my test for is this guy legitimate? You know, we talked we've talked about the pedicab driver with Billy Child sequence right. between. There's there's this level of authenticity, and it really came through in that uh, middle sequence with Philip Ng taking on the sickly character because you see him sitting there. It's almost like Billy Child sitting uh, eating his fried rice, waiting for Samuel Hung to make his way through all the henchmen. Then he gets up, and you know you're you know just thematic you know. Uh, cinematically, historically speaking, you know that this guy, they're holding him back because they're going to introduce him as like one of the great fighters. And he's, and it turns into a really great sequence. Um, and if I'm going to fast forward or actually rewind for a second to an area where you were talking about how the camera work started to get a little shaky, mm-hmm. uh, it reminded me at one point, particularly I think on the boat, uh, on the ship, when they were fighting in near the containers, mm-hmm. I'm like, I want, one of the questions I was going to ask before we began this podcast is what's the best container fight you've ever seen? Because I instantly thought this sequence feels a lot like the Dead Heat slash Thunderbolt sequence where they come to Jackie's, uh, uh, Jackie Chan's uh, uh, mechanic shop. Oh, uh, and they're I, trying I, to yep. pay him off, and you know he gets he gets into a great fight sequence. But that, the way the camera works right. moving, it's I think Samo would be pleased. Even Samo would be pleased with the with the camera movement because it doesn't go too far. I love that sequence, and I love Thunderbolt in general. The problem is that Jackie was doubled for a lot of those fights, yeah. and very yeah. obviously because he had hurt his ankle and rumble in the Bronx. But yeah. the best ship container fight scene, hands down, is Blonde Fury, aka Lady Reporter, yeah, with, very you know, good with Vincent Lynn and uh, Cynthia Rothrock, which was then copied by Corey Yuen uh, in the transporter uh i mean it, it's funny how often fights end up in warehouses or shipping containers i mean we've got knockoff with van damme even Hiko <laughs> uos his first film marantal finishes like yeah. in a same setting like that but uh I, I also to go back to the drug layer fight scene yeah. there's also and they implement slow motion really well and there's just these really creative in-betweens where the movement between the three of them as like philippines doing a backflip over that uh like railing in the middle and it's just these very very uh i almost want to say special moments where you can tell like this is a guy that's always thinking about choreography right or this or that and that's that jackie chan element right because a lot Mm -hmm. they talk about how nowadays one of the things that was created by like the 8711 stunt guys or really prior to that uh, before they formed that was the idea of pre-visualization, the previs as they say, filming, having all the fight scenes uh, ready beforehand. They have, you know, other actors come in and film it. So visually they have the camera angles all picked so that the director knows like what the action director wants and this, et cetera. And they'll make slight changes maybe, but Jackie's different. You know, Jackie, they still like shows up on set, like, okay, okay. Looks around. This is what we're going to do. And I have a feeling maybe Philip Ng is a little bit of both. You know, he has just always choreography ideas in his head. But see, that's also what Jackie did. Like, even when you watch Jackie Chan, my stunts, and you see his office and all like the newspaper clippings he saves and magazine articles, he's like, oh, because this, I always, I thought this might work well in a stunt or this. And obviously he's like, see, this is the newspaper article that inspired me to do the big rolling ball sequence in Operation Condor, et cetera, et cetera. It's someone that always has choreography on the mind, which I I kind of... Uh, joke that, for example, in undergrad, I did film production, right? And that's growing up, I always had fight sequences in my head. I I used to like pretty much always, I'd say have like five different fight sequences I was choreographing <laughs> in my head. And, but the funny part is since, and then I switched over to actually competing for reels for the first time. Then I got into Muay Thai and fighting and that, that creative element has kind of gone away from me. You know what I mean? That, that it's almost like as an adult, you get to uh, make believe 
right? And you get to use this side of your brain that is usually restricted once you enter adult life. And I just love it when we get to see some cinematic magic come to life like that. Just these little in-between cool moments, uh, like trailer spots, right? The ones they definitely use in the trailer, but it's not like all the best stuff. Then we get to see more. We get to see uh, the kind of action that we crave for nowadays and we just don't get very often. Now, it, I, I cannot agree with you more on that on that front. And I, I think, you know, a lot of that, uh, cre- you can tell that someone it has the creative juices flowing. They're in the create. They're in this creative realm for so long that all of a sudden, uh, not all of a sudden, like after years of training, then a product like this comes to the screen. And you know what? What uh, you know, looking at Rotten Tomatoes, you know, there's some there's some people who pan the movie a little because of the script, but the fight sequences are at such a high caliber and so so creative and innovative and so well thought out like literally as you were just saying like you and and what's great about them is they're also so confident that they're actually going to show you the 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 full room and you you know what's you you kind of have a you're you're kind of getting that sense of what's going to happen what what i would have really loved to seen is with the movie that is this innovated on the fight side to have a script that was as innovative as gross point blank ah, as they, you know, like, because yeah. the, the fights that, you know, for, for example, for like John Cusack to unveil his kickboxing in a film, uh, with Benny the jet, you do it in a, in a film, in a, in, in a film setting in a story setting like that. It's so creative. The, and I feel like that film was groundbreaking, at least for Western, martial art western action films mm-hmm. it would have i would have loved to have seen uh something some kind of script that was that innovative for this for these fight sequences to be held up and not missed or forgotten it's same, same with like uh oh uh double deuce roadhouse roadhouse thank oh. you thank you <laughs> like yeah same with roadhouse i mean it's it's a script that holds it's a story that holds up even if it's a little hokey it holds up and it it helps uh propel reaction it doesn't take much and it doesn't have to be overly intricate which uh this film kind of almost tries to do uh but it's also never a good sign when you have seven people credited for uh the screenplay usually that means it was going into a lot of different hands but hey maybe they were just trying to pay homage to the classic era of hong kong cinema where they never even had a shooting script yeah. So it was just whoever showed up that day, like, hey, guess what? You're writing today's uh, action. What? But uh, no, I, I, I agree with you. And, and you kind of you said something there that I want to uh, cover a little bit where you're talking about like the camera is just there capturing the action. There's no quick cuts. There's no hiding it. It's it's just out there in the open. And the opening sequence is just a great introduction to the action that we're going to have. Pretty much as a drug deal, it goes bad. Both sides start fighting and shooting each other. And Philip Banks caught in the middle and just starts kicking a bunch of ass. We get to see him do, you get to kind of see him do a little bit of everything. I love the intricate kicks, you know, some classic uh, bomb, 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 like Western style boxing choreography. Then he also gets to implement uh, the grappling in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And the nice part is, like Donnie Yen, it's incorporated organically, right? It feels natural it's not over the top it's not too long but it fits into the fight sequence so you're taking this classic style of hong kong choreography but slightly updating it by adding something they never had before like brazilian jiu-jitsu and it works uh pretty much that sequence and then the finale uses a lot of it too and they do a good job of that but 
one of the things I love, and this just kind of goes to that creative element, and I feel like other people wouldn't have even touched this, but towards the end of that opening action sequence, there's a part where Philip Ng is fighting a guy and does, I, I think it's about five sidekicks in a row with the same leg. He doesn't put the foot down. And it's not like he has the abilities of, say, someone like Flash Legs Tan, Tan Tao Liang, one of the greatest, if not the greatest cinematic kickers of all time, who would do that with like his foot up in the air at like a 180 degree angle. But, you know, he's doing it more at like chest level, but literally doesn't put his foot down, just goes one, two, three. He just keeps throwing sidekicks and then brings it up to the face. And it's just such a cool, uh, creative moment that I, I feel like some performers would have been like, well, no, I don't even want to attempt that. But Philip Bing was kind of like, yeah, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I think this is going to look cool. And I think it looks cool and it, it fits into the fight. It's, it's, it's a little more rough and maybe not as clean, but with all the chaos that's going on, I feel like it works. I, I agree. And I mean, the, What's great about this film, like you're talking about how it's a little bit of a throwback to the 90s. It's also a throwback to the 80s and the 70s with the casting and also sequences mm -hmm. like that. Because you normally wouldn't see uh, a five-leg kick sequence yeah. like that unless you're talking about like uh, Young Master, uh -huh. uh, Drunken Lord. Uh, like Wong and Sick or and pretty much Lords, any of the Dragon Lord. Yeah, the, yeah. the Taekwondo kickers like Flash yeah. Legs Tan or Huang exactly. Jingli, uh, Wong and Sick, uh, more specifically Hapkido. Sorry if anybody is like, he's not Taekwondo. My bad. Now, there are, I, I did notice that there are some like holds and everything in this film. Would that be, would you categorize that under Hapkido or how would you categorize some of those locks that they held? Interesting you should say that because there is one sequence and I think we're thinking of the th same one in the drug lab where he's got the guy in like a standing arm bar. But mm -hmm. also, and this is the thing, this goes to show the level of authenticity to Philip Ng's choreography because he has him in like a standing arm bar, kind of something that you might see in like Aiki Jiu-Jitsu or Hapkido uh, or Chinna and but he also the the placement of the way he's holding the guy's hand mm -hmm. is you can tell it's it's real he's got it it's not just he has him like in the standing kind of arm lock he's also got the hand positioning right and it's just these little things that as fans of the genre we will notice and so that would be more something like uh like what i like to call more specifically because it's it, is it technically grappling yes but i mean it's not like what we define as grappling nowadays usually being some you know brazilian jiu-jitsu catch wrestling etc cetera, etc cetera. but it's kind of what i like to call joint manipulation which is like usually my word for like the standing holds and so forth or like yeah. police tactical holds well it, it's just so well done and it's and it's they don't make a big deal about uh they don't make a big show out of, hey, we're doing a new martial arts style right here. It just flows naturally within the choreography. It just it just works. They get close, then you got a you got a joint, you got a lock hold, and then you've got uh, then you've got distance and you're going back to the kicks. Mm -hmm. It's just really it's just really well done. And then there's some sequences that are on the floor and then they come back up. And I think uh, there, you know what I also appreciate about this film is there wasn't a lot of wire foo. I think there are two sequences and that was with the Van Ness and that when I saw it, I'm like, uh, because you know me, I'm not like a huge fan, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's right around a moment where they did a slow motion. So they're like really trying to like give a little extra impact and then he comes around with this like pretty long kick. Yep, there's the that one. Goes fly. Right, then in the drug uh, layer, or in the drug lab, when the one of the henchmen, you could tell is on a wire as he flies over the other henchmen to kick Philip Ng, who then, when they cut to the uh, shot of him flying through the air backwards, is also a wire one. But those are the two that stick out in my mind. But you're right, there was not a whole lot of wire work, uh, yeah. which is great because 
when you have the time and the budget to do stellar wire work and it fits within the storyline and narrative, for example, uh, a lot of people's favorite Kung Fu movie of all time, uh, Iron Monkey. That's the style of the movie and it fits. It's a period piece. It's almost like a combination of the wuxia genre and the Kung Fu piano, the Kung Fu movie. But then you take that and put it in a contemporary picture, something like Romeo Must Die, even on the biggest budget with the best wire work, and it comes, it did, it did not age well, right? No, I mean, like, yeah, it's one of my favorite Steven Seagal action sequences is Exit Wounds. No, not exit wounds, exit wounds, right? Where he's going to the car to unlock yep. the car. Like, I can do that in a second. You're doing it all wrong. A great setup. It starts well. And then all of a sudden, he's like parallel kicking someone. <laughs> yeah. Just like, you don't need that. We, the wire foo never ages well unless it's unless it's something that is part of, like, for me, fantasy. Like the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, mm-hmm. where they have these special abilities. Or the I Matrix. Mean, or the Matrix. Where you and can I literally know, defy the laws of gravity. Yes. Because there is no spoon. <laughs> But uh, so, yeah, obviously, we're big fans of the fight sequences. Our favorite is the middle one. Uh, I love the opening one. The finale is great, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Philippine gets to have a great fight against uh, Lu Xiaojiang, who's uh, she started off, you know, around that same era in Hong Kong films. Uh, and she's actually made a, a name for herself as like a legitimate performer now. I think she was in Operation Red Sea and she was nominated for an acting uh, award in that. Uh, she's a mainland performer in phenomenal shape, too. Like, you see her yeah. in the movie. Like, she's got guns. You're like, dang. Uh, I love their whole fight sequence. Uh, and then, obviously, you have the great Andy On, who I'm a huge fan of. Uh, and so, let's talk about the cast a little bit. So, we've we've given our background of Philip Ng. Uh, one of his co-stars in the film is Vanessa Wu. And admittedly, I, for years, thought it was Vanessa Wu. And be, uh, up until probably about like five years ago. So because Vanessa Wu, like he came up at the same time in the early 2000s as a lot of these guys did. And so I remember just reading his name and just instinctively and lazily reading Vanessa Wu uh, thinking, oh, OK, yeah, some actress and singer. And then it wasn't until about five years ago or so I was like, wait a minute, Vanessa Wu. Oh, it's a guy. And so he's an American, uh, uh, Taiwanese American, American born uh, uh, singer actor uh he's part of uh a, a well-known uh like mando pop group i think are they called the fort i forget what or something called. yeah uh and then he's also part of a k-pop mando pop combo duo uh, he's been acting in movies forever singing uh a lot of people might know him from one of his more recent performances in yip man 4 where mm-hmm. he plays the marine uh, that is a student of Bruce Lee's. And it's funny because in Yet Man 4, I actually thought his performance acting wise was maybe the best. It was like the most grounded uh, for, you know, working with the script that they had. But this film is the complete opposite. And obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, but I'm guessing like a lot of people involved in this project, they're friends of Philip Inc. That, uh, that he's worked with for years. And it's like, hey, this is my passion project. Can you come on board and help me? They probably worked for, you know, the bare minimum uh and i think so part of probably his uh decision to accept this role was two things okay i'm gonna help out my buddy philip but also i get to play this super wacky goofy over the top character uh they probably just you know gave like they're like hey do what you want because he is just so over the top and wacky he's supposed to be like a comic relief and some sometimes it it works other times it's just way too over the top but you can tell he's having a crap ton of fun with this role 
Uh, you, absolutely. I mean, it's almost like, I mean, because of the way the script's written, he, uh, it's almost like he's playing three roles at times. And because, but what's great about him in these roles is he's going all in on each, each uh, incarnation. I mean, he's even like at one point, you know, his, his hair's one way. And then it's almost as if like the next day, you know, different scriptwriter was there. So they change it. So he, he ties a headband around his head for, yep. for a portion of the sequence. So he's like embracing all these different roles that they're giving him. So in many ways, it's like, he's a super layered character who which just keeps revealing a new, new new character yeah but but even the physicality he brings to the screen changes because he's a he's a decently big guy it, it seems but sometimes the way he even physically presents himself is different from one sequence to the next like uh for example when they go to tell uh brother Bao's daughter at the tattoo parlor that he's died mm -hmm. it's like when they walk in it's like he's purposely puffing out his chest and shoulders and it's he, he almost looks kind of goofy his build you're like what yeah. the heck but it's a comedy relief exactly but he is just kind of a, a bigger guy right like and obviously in good shape because he pulls off the action quite well yeah. uh you know he does the whole like where he's chasing down uh the car uh doing the scaffolding thing like you said but i was most impressed by his knife fighting sequence at the end on the That's fantastic, isn't oh it? yeah great fight where he takes on the guys first then takes on the henchmen and they have like a knife fight and i thought that was really cool and i thought it had some uh great creative moments and the the finishing i thought that was really great and so i thought he brought a great physicality to the role for a guy that isn't necessarily once again a trained martial artist but any of these guys coming up in the era they did still were going to almost inadvertently be forced to learn martial arts you know uh being involved in jackie projects etc cetera, etc cetera. and that's actually so if we segue into andy on same thing, Andy On, another Chinese American, right? I believe he's from Rhode Island, uh, and so he is a uh, fluent Mandarin speaker. And so mm -hmm. that's actually, I know, I'm 99% positive that's his voice in the the dub that is on uh, the Haya app. Philip Ng, I believe, is dubbed in Mandarin because he's a native English and Cantonese speaker, and I'm sure speaks good Mandarin. But sometimes with uh, the Mandarin audio tracks, there's certain standards they have to meet as set by the mainland Chinese government. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he's dubbed, but Andy on 99% positive. That's his uh, Mandarin voice speaking. Uh, Vanessa Wu, I'd imagine it is as well, but I'm not as familiar with him, but Andy on's another one of those guys that was kind of just picked out of obscurity. Like, Hey, you want to replace Jet Li in black mask? Well, I'm not a martial artist, but okay. And then from there, he just started working in the Hong Kong film industry. And then he got trained by the Jackie Chan stunt team and got involved in these early roles where martial arts was a main component. And so it kind of built this great foundation for him. And even in, say, like New Police Story, which he has, he's one of the main uh, henchmen with Daniel Wu. He has some great fight sequences, right? And he got yep. to learn under Jackie and the Jackie Chan stunt team and where better to start off than there. And here, he brings that same physicality right his his character is pretty much like you know final boss level uh badass and yes it sometimes his technique isn't as clean as say philip ings but it works for this picture preferably i thought his martial arts performance in once upon a time in shanghai was a little better another philip ing starring role but still does a fantastic job in this one and i really like and same thing this character he gets to do is very over the top a very over the top villain once again though i kind of no i not kind of i preferred his over the top role in once upon a time in shanghai uh, i just felt it was a little more structured 
once again, this film that we're discussing today, people got to cut loose. They got to have a lot of fun. But uh, the physicality he brings to the role is great. And even the, the sequence I really liked is when they're shooting the guns together in the drug lab with him and Philip yep. Bang. Just very creative, very cool. The camera panning around them. Uh, you know, they're shooting the henchmen as they come at them. It, it kind of feels like a video game in the best kind of way. And I was very happy with his performance in this film. I really wish Andy on. I, I feel like Andy and Philip could easily transition. Uh, oh, that's so funny. My brother's Philip and I'm technically Andrew. Uh, <laughs> Philip and Andy could have uh, can easily. They could headline an American action film, right? Or like a Netflix uh, type film without a doubt. Uh, because and a heartbeat. Yeah, in a heartbeat. They're both good-looking guys with great physiques and uh, great skill set, uh, a buddy cop type one. I would love to see them get the chance to do more of a straight like buddy cop role because even this film, like Once Upon a Time in Shanghai, they are not necessarily – like in Once Upon a Time in Shanghai, they end up becoming friends. It's a remake of The Boxer from Shangtung or uh, you know, Hero, the one they did in the 90s uh, with Takeshi Kaneshiro and Yuen Biao. But it's it's like they they never true. I mean, they, they kind of partner up. It's kind of that buddy element. But I'd love to see them do a straight buddy cop movie where, yes, we're partners. Yes, we're friends. Yes, we're both 100 percent good guys. Let's do this. But uh, otherwise, I, I, I thought, you know, he did a great job in this film. I love him as a performer. I'd love to see him do more. Uh, who else do we need to discuss? Who else pops up on your radar? Uh, so for me, uh, the henchman that uh, they were doing the knife fight with at the end. Oh, yeah. I'm actually not familiar with uh, who that is. But if uh, if you look at the cast list, he kind of looks almost like he might be Malaysian, right? Yeah, he does. Yes. I'll just say yes. Yeah, because uh, I mean, that was just kind of my guess. There's a, a character in the cast named Aaron Aziz. Yeah. So I don't know if that's him. Maybe not. Uh, but he did a great job because the, the knife the knife fight, as we discussed with Vanessa Wu, is fantastic. Uh, the, you mentioned this earlier. There's also like some classic actors in the film that are from the era of like classic Hong Kong cinema. One of them being Sweat uh, Lam, uh, who plays Brother Bao, the, the big, uh, uh, I hate to say fat, but yeah, the big fat guy with the mustache that you've seen in plenty mm-hmm. of Hong Kong movies who once again gets to do this fun creative role where he's just – He's only in the intro sequence and he's high as hell on crystal meth. Yeah. So he's just all over the place. It's goofy. It's wacky. And, you know, it's it, it, it harkens back to those films of the early 90s and probably a role he doesn't get to do very often because usually he's kind of a more serious actor. Uh, you've got Carrie Ng pops up in there uh, yeah. from Crystal Hunt, but from that era of the early 90s, uh, some like almost, you know, category two or three like exploitation films. But she has a small role as Miss Tong, literally just one sequence. Uh, we've we mentioned before, Nicholas Say has a cameo as uh, what you can consider like Philip Ng's handler within the police department. Uh, and I think that's pretty much everyone of significance, correct? Yeah, and, and you are correct. It is Aaron Aziz. Oh, it is? Yeah, I, nice. I, I did a quick search. But yeah, it, uh, and there's not much information here that I can find on just a quick search. But uh, Well, for, if, he, if he is Malaysian, possibly, he could very well be a C-Lot practitioner because people, uh, to remember, C-Lot is... Silat is an Indonesian martial art, right? But even mm-hmm. when I was growing up and getting into like martial arts and stuff, I first heard of it as a Malaysian martial art because it is there is Malaysian Silat and Indonesian Silat, and even for example in uh, 
which one of the there's a human weapon or a fight quest. I think it was fight quest when they do sea lot, they go to Malaysia, if I'm not mistaken. And so sea uh, lots actually kind of like uh, Kung Fu that spread all throughout China. Sea lot is spread all throughout Southeast Asia. Uh, and he's he, he was born in Singapore. Makes sense that, uh, you know, uh, because yeah, Singapore has uh, a large diaspora of Southeast Asian ethnicities outside of Chinese. There's, you know, Singapore's got uh, Indian, uh, an Indian population. There's Malaysian. Well, also, we have to think about the the history of uh, the geography of that region. And, you know, prior to like mid 20th century events, a lot of these countries were actually together, not physically. I'm not talking about Pangea. I'm talking about like under kind of one uh, ruling system. Yeah. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh I, I, before before I let it slip, you had a great idea about the buddy cop film uh-huh. with uh, with Philip Ng and Andy O. Andy, Andy on. on, yeah. Uh, what if you also so you have Philip Ng doing the martial arts choreography, you have Kensuke Sonomura doing the act, the directing of the film, and you also throw in uh, Masanori Mimoto. So basically, I'm talking about the Hydra director and the Hydra lead actor, and you throw them in. Uh, do you think there could be some? I feel like I feel like there's some fun stuff that could be done. Not, not where it's like three cops who are buddies. But. but why not have like so maybe okay maybe our actor from Hydra is like the villain, right? Yeah, he's a yakuza boss, yeah. right? And so uh, let's say it's set in America or something, and let's do uh, or let's do like a a reverse Black Rain fish out of water scenario so we have two hong kong cops play mm-hmm. that have to escort a yakuza boss back to america to face trial they Ooh, lose him in america and then they have to go after him in america and then it's like this whole element of you know the fish out of water but not really because they both speak perfect english and like maybe even are american or something or you know what i mean uh so yeah why not that there we go all right, done. Done. Uh, I will call the producers. I'll get us some uh, financing, and that film will get made. But if we were to give this film, let, let's wrap it up on our discussion of Undercover Punch and Gun. Uh, what rating would you give this movie? And so for this one, this is definitely a specific genre film. It is for fans of the genre. I would not necessarily recommend this to anybody outside of you know, uh, uh, the fan base because it would be a really hard movie to watch. Uh, you're going to be like, what the heck? And then, you know, the action probably wouldn't even be enough to keep you, uh, into it. So whatever rating we give is going to be specifically for fans of the genre. So I I think it's fair to say like, you know, Rotten Tomatoes gave it 20%. That's, that's an F. Oh yeah. And that's, it's totally unjustified that rating B, but because of all the films we've, we've reviewed this year, particularly all the new films, uh, this overall has the best fighting. Uh, Hydra has the best has the best slips, yeah, uh, movements, but, right? Yeah, but this this I mean we've reviewed uh, I mean with with all due respect to some great films, including Paper Tigers, including and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I'm just talking about the num the amount of punches, the amount of kicks that take place in this film compared to compared to all the other films combined. So that includes Hydra, Paper Tigers, Mortal Kombat. Uh, we've touched on uh, Snake Eyes, etc. This is. Technically not brand new this year, but by far has more martial arts. Definitely enjoyable for martial art fans. 
script wise, it pulls you, it, it, you, you just got to get through it. Uh, so I, I want to give it a C, but I'm going to give it a low B because the too many, too many fun kicks in that middle sequence is just too good. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a great rating. It's funny. I was going to give it a B solid B 85%. Okay. Uh, I can easily turn this one on and watch it. Uh, and it's funny. You said f- flying kicks. I want to state right now, right here that Philip Ng has one of the best jump sidekicks I've ever yes. seen. And the, the, the thing is, and not to toot my own horn, that's actually one of the few kicks I can do very well. Uh, mostly cause I've been trying to figure out a way to implement it straight up in the ring, but we're talking just a solid straight jump in the air, sidekick at about gut to chest level, not even head level, but the way he throws it is just so good. The way he torques his body, the positioning of his hands, everything is perfect. He, he does a few of them throughout the movie and it's just such a, I could watch him just do that in every fight sequence. So I want to say on the record, Philip Ng has the best jump sidekick, just straight up solid jump sidekick. So, and the, the line when yep. he comes across, is almost like uh, um, blanking the actor who was in Bloodsport 2, 3, and 4. Daniel Bernhardt. Daniel Bernhardt. Yeah. It's like, you know, when you see Daniel Bernhardt's line, beautiful. Same with Philip Ng's like psychic line. It's just fantastic. Yeah. I'm uh, so I think fair ratings indeed. B minus and B. Uh, we're, we're usually pretty close on that. Yeah. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to what they can do in the future, especially if given because once again, here's the deal. You don't need to have in terms of like Hong Kong cinema, like a, a, a beautifully written script. Uh, more specifically action films a la like A Better Tomorrow, right? You don't need uh, something along those lines, right? You don't need, if you're keeping it like contemporary cop thriller, you don't need a crime story, Jackie Chan's crime story, right? But just a good, solid script that allows you to showcase the action and doesn't go, you know, too over the top. It's not too crazy. You know what? What about a high school reunion or maybe you're a, a bouncer at a bar? Keep it simple. Yeah, okay, I see what we're doing now. We're, uh, we're referencing Roadhouse and Gross Point Blank. Because like, oh, those uh, are great ideas, Gavin. I was like, wait <laughs> a minute. Wait a minute. You're stealing there. But uh, the other thing. Oh, I'm glad I just thought of this. The thing I like is this film. Because we keep talking about how it throws back to the classic era of Hong Kong. Uh, contemporary action cinema. The early 90s Hong Kong films. This is... Like, yes, the cast is diverse and you have some people from the mainland stuff. This is a Hong Kong movie, right? It's shot in Hong Kong. It's all done in Hong Kong. For people that don't realize what I'm talking about, I think at its peak, film production in Hong Kong, it's some ridiculous number. There was, but there was like hundreds and hundreds of straight Hong Kong movies produced every year. We're talking about, you know, maybe some funding from here and there, but these were Hong Kong films. I know this is probably wrong, but I want to say it was something like 600 movies a year or some craziness. Oh, it was it was, fun. it was and, phenomenal. And then I think in the the even by the at the late 90s, it was still around like the 300 mark. But nowadays, I believe there's only like six to eight full Hong Kong shot, produced, and released films that that come out. And obviously, my numbers are are off. Please don't quote me on any of this. But it's something uh, obscene like that. It, it, it's it's like it's like one of those like car factories from Detroit that is just gutted. Yeah. Well, and it's uh, and this film definitely uh, isn't necessarily. Uh, I'm shooting myself in the foot here. Isn't necessarily uh, 100% Hong Kong, especially in the opening credits where you have 15 different like backing companies. But what I mean is, it's it's shot in Hong Kong. It has that Hong Kong feel. It's it, these are the kind of movies I would love to see produced shot produced done entirely in hong kong and guess what Mm -hmm. 
yes, you have to be weary and aware of uh, the the plot of the film, the nature of the film due to political censorship in the mainland. But that's not that hard to avoid. Just don't do anything political. Don't do anything uh, controversial in the sense of like having the government or law enforcement look bad in any way. Uh, or just have nothing involved like that. As you said, make him a bouncer. You know what I mean? Uh, have uh, no like drugs or anything. You know what I'm saying? And just and yeah. bring bring back production to Hong Kong. Uh, and I'd love to see that because the city itself is just it's such an amazing place. We've both been there numerous times. We love it. Uh, I miss it terribly. It's, it's just such a cool uh, setting for any sort of film. And it has its own unique nature to it. And I, I would love to get back to that. And these films don't need to be huge budgets. Why not like, you know, even like a Netflix series or something like that. Right. That would be very nice. Yeah. Uh, we, we can only we can only hope. Right. And on that note, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, Thank you all for listening, and we will catch up with you next week. See you soon.